You stand on the shore of the ocean watching the tide come in. You sense the call of the sea beckoning to take you in further. You step forward little by little not knowing what to expect, but expecting more. You keep going as the ocean calls calls you to enter in to deeper waters. Everyone and welcome to the Deeper Waters podcast. I'm Nick Peters here to bring you the very best in Christian scholarship and apologetics. Today we're talking about a topic that's going to get the attention of most every single man out there, but hopefully a lot of you women will join in this discussion. We're going to be talking about sex today, and why? Because along with good apologetics, I think we need good marriages today in our world. I think those are essential to building up a good Christian environment for us. And sex is a pretty important part of that marriage. So to have that discussion with me, I've brought on my friend Jay Parker. She is the author of Hot, Holy, and Humorous. Let me tell you a little bit about her. She's a Christian marriage and sex author and speaker who blogs at hotholyandhumorous.com. She has written three books, a self-help book titled Hot, Holy, and Humorous, which we're talking about today, Sex and Marriage by God's Design, a devotional book titled Intimacy Revealed, 52 Devotions to Enhance Sex and Marriage, and a book of short stories titled Behind Closed Doors, Five Marriage Stories. She owes a bachelor's degree in history from Abilene Christian University and a master's degree in counseling from the University of Houston. Married for 23 years, she has fondly nicknamed her logical husband Spock, has two teenage sons, and lives in the great state of Texas. When not writing about sex and marriage, Jay pins teen fiction, binge watches Netflix shows, or hangs out with her fabulous family and friends. So, Jay, welcome to the Deeper Waters podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you here on a perfectly ordinary week where absolutely nothing interesting has happened this week. <laughs> yeah, well, it's nice to have a change in topic, isn't it? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> If uh, my audience doesn't know you where, can you tell us a little bit about how you got to be doing what you're doing? Well, actually, kind of my uh, my thing grows out of uh, my personal testimony, a lot of it, mm-hmm. is that the way that God had worked in my life was in this area of sexuality. And he had brought me from a bad uh, premarital past, some promiscuity, and misunderstanding, misunderstanding about sexuality and into something so much better. I had really started seeking his way, and it just turned around completely for me. But it was not a story, a personal testimony that you hear a lot in church, where someone says, you know, how did God really change your life? And you say, well, let me tell you about my sex life. Um, But I realized that this was my story, and I just didn't know what to do with it. I felt like God wanted me to do something. So at some point, I thought, okay, I can write. I, I enjoy writing a great deal. I thought I would take up doing a blog. And I really kind of just thought I would put something up and that would sort of meet that that feeling of needing to do something with my story and and God would be okay with that. And as it turned out, I, you know, touched a nerve with a lot of people. I really believed that there were a lot of people that needed a better view of sexuality. And I found them and the blog started to grow and I just learned more and more and it has just grown in, I guess, now six years I've been doing this. So and I'm more passionate than ever. 
you know, something that amazes me when I look at the discussions I see is that a lot of women are writing about this topic. I mean, we could understand men writing and trying to give tips and such, but it seems different to have a woman writing about this. Yeah, it is. And and what I've said often is that the way I approached my blog was, I said, and, and this is how I approach my books as well, is I kind of try to think about those conversations that I've had where I'm sitting at a coffee shop or maybe, you know, in a, um, a church classroom after everything's kind of gone away. And it's just me and a, a few wives and we're discussing things. And it's just kind of like how I would talk to a girlfriend over coffee and try to advise them and, and explain the things that I've learned and just help each other's marriages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the thing that's so different about though is that usually we picture men having this intense interest and fixation with sex. Mm-hmm. We don't picture women often having that, it, especially in the Christian church. There seems to be some sort of stereotype built in, especially with the idea that usually went for women to be much if this is a duty and you just kind of have to do it. Well, I and and there is that. I do know that's out there some. But I think that regardless, there's a real concern among uh, women, Christian Christian women, about sex. You know, we, we do understand at some level that we're sexual beings. And we often bring a lot of baggage or maybe poor teaching or whatever to that. But we know this is something we're kind of supposed to work out. Mm-hmm. And whether it's something that you really enjoy and want to do, or it's something that you kind of cower from and your husband wants to do it. It's still an issue in your life. Um, So I think it's kind of opening now for people being willing to talk about it and seek a better way. Why is this so important for marriage? It's, well, I think that what's so important about it, well, there's numerous things, but one of the things that really strikes me first is that this is something that is so exclusive exclusive to marriage. You know, I've said, I, I hug my friends. I talk to my friends. I spend time with my friends. You know, I've even had roommates before I got married, but the the only person you engage sexually with in this very intimate way is your spouse. Mm -hmm. So it's something that God intended to be exclusive to marriage. It also is, is a both a reflection and something that nurtures intimacy. Mm-hmm. in your marriage. There's lots of different kinds of intimacy, but this is one that's very important and you should neglect it. Mm-hmm. And I also personally think it reflects the kind of, um, there's a mirroring of the marriage that God wants to have with his people mm-hmm. in marriage. And part of that is this this closeness, just a physical c- closeness, a feeling that you are um, so close together. And that happens in the sexual moments. Yeah, there was something posted on Sheila Ray Gregor's blog recently about the amazing ways that God made sex. And I comment about how men, what their attitude is, and they say, you know, we want to be wanted, pursued, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, interestingly, this is exactly the way I think God views us in the Bible. I mean, in think, yes, sex is very theological. Yeah, there are so many passages that um, both in the Old and the New Testament where there are references to God being like a bridegroom or a husband mm-hmm. to his people. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think that there's something to that. Mm-hmm. Now, you talk about sex being exclusive. 
for marriage. But earlier in your testimony, you thought you were a bit promiscuous before you got married. How, what do you think the difference is there with before marriage and after marriage sex? Okay, it's like night and day <laughs> is the difference. <laughs> um, I think that there's a lot of chasing after intimacy when you are uh, sexual before marriage or outside of marriage. And you get, you get maybe some glimpses of it. And so I think that we get this false sense of it. It's a false intimacy. Maybe we feel close. We're like, oh, well, we're really bound to this person. Mm-hmm. But you're really not. It's, it's not the same. You're not building a life together. You're not already in a committed and secure situation. And so I think you're always kind of trying to chase that and wondering if you're okay and, and how that's going. Um, also, there's just a real focus outside of marriage, I think, on the physical. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of people who are having sex before marriage, they're, they're doing it for their own pleasure. Right. Um, they're seeking out their own pleasure. And now God's not opposed to us greatly enjoying sex in marriage, but that is not the whole of the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but when you get into this situation and I, so I speak to this as a woman too, I really think there's something to this, especially for women is this having this sense of security mm-hmm. and knowing that this guy is going to be here today, tomorrow, the next day, that he is going to, um, for women, we put ourselves in a particularly vulnerable situation yes. in, in, during sex. Mm-hmm. And so we really kind of need to know that this guy that we're with is going to love and protect and cherish us. Mm-hmm. And that makes all the difference for how well we can open up and enjoy the experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, I, when I think about this, I think about how a C.S. Lewis wrote about someone who's, in a sense, just warning sex constantly. And the recommendation was, ah, this is a man who really wants a woman. And Lewis says, no, he doesn't want a woman. He wants pleasure. And a female body is the apparatus by which she wants to give that pleasure. Yeah, I've often said, you know, your partner is not your sex toy. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not how this works. They are, you know, this is supposed to be where you're both fully engaging in the experience. And that really, I think, can only happen in the context God wanted it to be in, in marriage. Mm-hmm. Now, you said also that uh, outside of marriage, it's largely physical. Now, I think there could be some women out there listening to this and thinking, well, geez, my husband sure seems to go crazy about physical stuff. You know how visual my husband is? Are you telling me that, <laughs> Are you telling me that for him, it's not physical? Well, it is physical, but it's more than that, too. And this is the other thing I hear from a lot of women. Um, I hear them say things like, oh, he just wants to use me for a release. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I frankly said to them, if that's all it was, he could go take care of it himself. Okay, right. that's, it, that's really not what it is. He does want to bond with you. I do think a lot of men, though, because they are straightforward and they are, um, you know, they're they're just more kind of grounded to that stuff. Maybe not as it's not as easy oftentimes for them to express what's going on inside, yeah. that they will say things that are in more physical terms. Mm-hmm. And so women read it that way because he'll say, I really want sex. Instead of saying, 
I really want to have sex with you. Or I, you know, I really want to see you naked versus uh, you're the person I want to see naked. And I think that those are the things that kind of, mm -hmm. you know, maybe maybe some tips for some guys out there too is to, is more about telling her why you want her because, or if you're just coming up and grabbing her, you know, that does feel just physical for a lot of women. Uh, and go ahead. That just, that just does not get across the right message. I'm picturing a lot of guys as you speak, looking out for notebooks and writing down every single word <laughs> that they can. And such. It's like, okay, is this the secret and such here? Yeah, well, you know, and I, and I think there is something to uh, that a lot of guys do this much more naturally when they're dating. And um, because you are wooing her and you're, you know, maybe you're a little more tentative and you're kind of, taking things a little slower. And, and I think guys kind of, they, they want to be, um, things would be more simple. And so they think, okay, well, well now we're married. And so it should be simple. I should just be able to look at her and say, let's have sex. She should say, okay, we should get it on. <laughs> but the women, part of the reason that she was drawn to you was how you, you, you know, carefully wooed her and, and she felt cherished and it's from that position when a woman feels secure and cherished that she can kind of let down her guard mm -hmm. and really say, okay, this is not just about the physical thing. This is about connecting with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think private ours would be that men have a very hard time expressing feelings. Yeah, yeah. I, I It's kind of like the color wheel, how women have, you know, there's not just pink, there's mauve, magenta, fuchsia, you know, <laughs> for, for women. I think it's like that with emotions too. And, and guys are like, no, it's just pink mm -hmm. or maybe a light red. Yeah. But <laughs> but for, for women, we have got all these different ways of expressing our emotions. And, you know, you say to a guy, how do you feel? And he's like, um, angry, hungry. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking my, my wife can see something online like a picture of a cat or something and i like cats we own a cat and she says isn't that cute yeah that's okay and i can picture saying she's saying i find that absolutely adorable why doesn't he and it's just my brain doesn't think that way yeah and I, but i don't think that means that men are are emotionally defective anyway i think that men have very deep emotions mm. they just don't come out and expressed in the same way. Mm -hmm. And so I think sometimes also women can can uh, maybe not understand that there really is a deep emotion of him wanting to be sexual with his wife. Um, and, we, and we can discount that because maybe it's not expressed in the way we would express it. You know, I've got a friend who's getting married in less than a month and I talked to him last night and we talked about this topic where because before I got married, I had a man who was not my family, because I think it's very awkward to talk with your family about this, but came and spent time with me and talked with me about sex. And I've always wanted to give that back to people that I talk to. And one thing mm -hmm. I said was that um, men need to be sexual to feel emotional, and women need to feel emotional to be sexual. Yeah, for women, it is... Um and we, and we are biologically made this way, that our arousal doesn't even work the same way that men's does. Mm -hmm. A lot of times men feel this sort of physical drive, 
and and then the kind of the emotions follow. And even um, a lot of men will report (laughs) that, you know, it is – and it's true biologically during sex for men, there is this huge wash of oxytocin that happens when they climax. And oxytocin is a body chemical that creates a bonding feeling with the person you're with. It's the same chemical that's released for mothers when they're nursing their child. Mm-hmm. And so men have this. And so I think that this is kind of something that happens in reverse for women though. Mm-hmm is that we start feeling all of that stuff kind of ahead of time and we need that before we can feel aroused. We kind of have to flip that switch in our brain to open ourselves up and say, oh, okay, well, you know, I'm ready to open myself up to all these feelings and these sensations and and welcome them. Yeah, something you said also earlier about uh, how men, when they're dating, they chase their wives and such. I think one of the great dangers and this can happen from men and women both after they get married is it's kind of easy to take that other person for granted from that point on. It is on both sides. Absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, I, I know for, for women too, you know, we were, a lot of guys get married and they say, well, she was so eager to kiss and touch before we got married. And then it's like, she shut down. Um, so if I were talking, you know, when I'm talking to wives, I have a slightly different way of saying, okay, you guys also, you ladies also need to do your part here mm-hmm. in, in, in approaching that and keeping the romance and the, and the sensual feelings alive. Yeah. Now let's talk a little bit about some things you say in a book. You start with talking about cultivating romance. And part of this is you say you're a married to a Spock. <laughs> yes, that is the nickname I have given him on my on my website, and uh, it fits very well. He's extremely logical, um, and one of the things I know too is if anyone's familiar with the Myers Briggs personality type mm-hmm. indicator. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that's on there is whether you make judgments based on thinking or emotion. And he and I have both taken different versions of this test at different times. And he has not once ever answered a single question in the uh, emotional column, <laughs> in the feeling column. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he's very, very thinking, very logical. Yeah. And uh, my wife would say the same thing about me. In many ways, she's, mm-hmm. she's married to Sheldon Cooper. Aha, I get that reference. (laughs) But at the same time, just because we're very, very logical and such like that, and we don't fear the same way, it doesn't mean we can't be romantic, does it? No, not at all. I'm... My husband certainly can be. Um, I do have to sometimes take the lead or say things that I need because he just kind of doesn't think of them. But once I say something or if he makes something a habit, Mm -hmm. um, he's happy to do it. Mm -hmm. My my own wife has learned me ways that she has to be careful sometimes if she mentions something that she wants around me. Because usually... I try and clean out my Amazon credit account as soon as I can and get it for her. So just we're at the Walmart one day and she sees a plushie that she wants. I don't have the money on me and our money's tight. Well, I do get Amazon credit. I say, honey, I'm sorry. You can't do that right now. 
I get home and I order a whole nine-piece set for her of that plushies and have it sent to us. So, yeah, that's the kind of thing I do. (laughs) That is so funny because uh, not long ago, my husband broke a glass of mine. Mm -hmm. It was just a drinking glass, but it was a special thing. Anyway, and I said, oh, that's okay. I'll just replace it. And next thing I knew, a a pack of of those glasses, an eight-pack set arrived in the mail. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I didn't need eight. <laughs> Just... <laughs> but, he, but he did. He replaced that and gave me seven more. Mm-hmm. You know, the, um, the thing with cultivating romance also is somebody I told this friend last night, I said, remember, when you get married, sex begins at breakfast. Mm-hmm. But too many guys, unfortunately, we're work all day, okay, that's understandable, their wives need to do it, but then they come home, plop their feet up on a footstool, sit down on the couch, get out the remote, turn on the TV, watch what they want, ask for dinner, and then, gosh, they're just so amazed when their wives just don't, aren't so eager to make love when they get to the bedroom that night. Yeah, and we want to feel connected before we reach the bedroom. Mm-hmm. And so that is definitely something that we want to, we want to feel engaged and like, and, and sex ideally should be an outgrowth of a relationship and of companionship and connection. Um, and honestly, I'll say this. Um, I think this is all something that, that the men need to attend to, to recognize that there's a way you can show, show attention and affection to your wife. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, this is not a bartering deal. Yeah. And your wife could probably sniff it out if you're just doing it to get the sex. Yep. So you need to commit yourself to to this. And there will be some times where, you know what, you you had it in your mind maybe that, that you were going to make love and, and you showed great affection and this and that. And that day she just doesn't feel good. You know, maybe her stomach doesn't feel good or she's ex- had a hor- horrible day. She's exhausted. Yeah. But that effort's not wasted. It's still going into your marriage and it's going to pay off another time when she's willing to, to make love. Yeah. Something you said about also was that about how me and men can do things with the hopes of their wife or want to make love with them. And the the sad thing is that can often go both ways though. The uh, the husband could say, for instance, Well, I'd be more willing to work on a house, you know, she'd just give out a little bit more often. <laughs> and then she'd say, Well, I'd be willing to give out a little bit more often if he'd just work around the house some. Yeah, that makes it almost like a transaction, and that's not what God had in mind when he created sex. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, when you read the this beautiful Song of Solomon and the story of the romantic and sexual love between a husband and wife, I mean, they are eager to be with each other. Mm-hmm. They enjoy one another. So when we're talking about cultivating romance, I mean, what are some tips for guys. I mean, the thing that I'm thinking is you could probably want to go through, say, the five love languages, find out what her love language is, and then do that. Yes. I think that one of the best things that men can do is ask their wives, and one of the best things that wives can do is not say, read my mind. Because <laughs> there's nothing wrong with discussing this. This doesn't uh, dilute your your love, if you if it helps to hammer out, you know, what does romance look like to you? That's a great question to ask your wife. What does romance look like to you? Mm-hmm. Because, um, for instance, 
uh, long, long ago, I dated a guy who brought me flowers often. I really, that's not my thing. I, it was, it was nice, but I kind of got old for me after a little bit. There are other women that love getting flowers, but that wasn't, so I think too, you, you don't need to just look at what you've heard that is romance. Um, ask your wife, see if she is a gifts person or see if she wants to spend more time, you know, taking vacation or doing a picnic or would it, would it be important to her that you surprise her or does she not like surprises? Mm-hmm. Um, so you just ask that question. Most women would be really impressed that you want to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I just think it's so important that we have to be doing something. One of the biggest compliments I get on social media, because usually every day on social media, on Facebook, except for Sundays when I don't post from there, I'm posting something from a site like I Love My Wife or some marriage thought, something every single day. Because I I want people to look and say, you know what? I've got a marriage and I love my wife. And when I see someone talking about me on there and saying, yeah, this guy loves his wife a lot, that's one of the biggest compliments I get. Yeah, it is. It is. I'd also like you... uh, I'd like to say something about something you said earlier about women don't expect men to read your minds. <laughs> this is something that's so key. I wish more women were strict because as an apologist, I can look at an argument an atheist makes and notice all the underlying presuppositions in a moment just like that. Mm-hmm. I cannot catch on to my wife's signals at all. <laughs> I, I tell people, yeah, there were two times back I've heard that she was totally in the mood and she was trying to miss to let me know. And I just missed it entirely. And and now I'm just wanting to go curl up and cry thinking about those two times that I missed. Right now. <laughs> I know you want to kick yourself. Man, yeah. I could have had it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, 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 but women do expect us men to be able to catch all these sly signals, don't we? Don't they? Yeah, I think I think so. And I think that's also just because of the differences between men and women. Um, they have shown that women are, you know, these are some stereotypes, so it's not true for everyone, but women generally are better reading social-emotional cues, um, body language even, facial expressions, we tend to do better at reading those things, mm-hmm. and we are um, more relation relationship focused with each other. Mm-hmm. And so, I think that we sort of expect at times that men can read us the same way women read other women, mm-hmm. and that's that doesn't work that way. And I think one of the reasons that God did this is He's forcing us to get beyond ourselves and learn what it is to love someone in a way that requires some effort and some sacrifice. Mm -hmm. So this is good. It makes us grow, but we need to kind of lean into that and learn how to, to talk to each other and communicate effectively. Yes. Sex really for, it really is all about sacrifice because it's each person giving 100% of themselves to the other. And again, very theological. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, I contend all the time that that if you had two people who walk into the marital bedroom mm-hmm. with uh, 
you know, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 6, infusing their whole attitude, love is kind, love is patient, mm-hmm. um, all those things, that, that those two would be making beautiful love. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think that when you live out your Christ-likeness with your spouse, even in the marriage bed, it makes for a beautiful sexual relationship. It's something I tell people to do with First Corinthians 13 and get folks verses is take out the word love, put your name in there, read through, see how accurate it is. <laughs> oh, that's actually scary, but <laughs> it's a good idea. <laughs> it is a good idea. It'll pinpoint where you need to work. Now, when another next chapter you got in here is all about finding time. I mean, that seems to be such a problem in our world where everyone rushes to and oh, and men can some seem to have a lot of energy, and, but their wives are exhausted at the end of the day, every, and taking care of a house or putting up with kids all day long and such. And time doesn't seem to be on their side. Yeah, there's certainly seasons of our lives that are harder. I think when the kids are younger, a lot of times that's the busiest time for the wife. Um, a lot of men, I think, experience it more in middle age and beyond when they get into their careers where they're they're working a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they've reached a point of responsibility in their workplace where it's more demanding of their time. Mm-hmm. And, and then we just have our families and we have our church volunteering and our households and our extended families. And it can just get to be a lot and then what the problem is that what we do is we do everything else and then decide, well, let's see what kind of leftover time we have to dedicate to sexual intimacy with one another. Yeah. And you're not going to have any. <laughs> yeah. You know, something I think I tell women on this area is, you know, you can be a great housemaker. You can be a great mother. You can be a great crook, and you can do all those things for your husband. And you know what? You should. Guys don't complain about that for not knocking that. But if you do all those things and don't do the one thing that really hits closest to his heart, he's not going to be able to appreciate all the other things. Yes, I agree with that. I have a sign above my stove that says, I kiss better than I cook. <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> like, so, so I'm like, you know what? I think my, my husband's okay. I mean, he's still alive. I do feed him. But, um, but yeah, you know, we do need to prioritize, prioritize that kind of stuff. And also, a lot of husbands can help their wives. Sometimes wives are overwhelmed for good reasons. And what would really help is if you said to your wife, look, I, I know you need a break and maybe you just need some time to regroup. So let me, uh, let me read to the kids at bedtime tonight. Um, let me do our son's bath. Let me, you know, whatever it is that needs to be taken care of. And just help out so there's a little bit of margin in your lives. And every now and then, it'd probably be good if they have children to let the kids stay with the grandparents one night or so. And the grandparents probably don't want to complain greatly about that. And go out and have no. a date night. Yeah. And, and if you don't have grandparents nearby, um, you can find uh, somebody in your church, probably. Mm-hmm. I know that we often would barter with other couples, and so they would get a date night and leave their kids with us, and then we would get a date night when we left their, our kids with them. Yeah. And then, so, 
And and if you've got money for babysitter and you can find a reliable person, keep that person on speed dial. Mm-hmm. It, it also seems so odd to some women to hear us, but the idea also of putting things on a calendar. Yeah, I'm a proponent of scheduling sex for people that kind of need that kick um, up. And I get some pushback sometimes about that because people will say, but it should be spontaneous. It should be, if it's going to be meaningful, it should be spontaneous. And my argument is always, okay, when you were dating, didn't you guys say, hey, let's go out on Friday at 7 p.m.? Well, you wrote it on your calendar. So even if you didn't know what you were going to do, even if you didn't know which movie you were going to see, which restaurant you were going to go to, what activity you were going to do, you put something on your calendar and you blocked off the time. And that's what, that's what I'm saying about scheduling sex. You're not saying everything that's going to happen. All you're saying is this block of time, we're going to dedicate to having some physical intimacy. Once you get there, it's whatever y'all want to do. There's there's all the room in the world to be spontaneous once you get there. Yeah. And there's plenty of times for spontaneity. Of that, but you're saying, you know, even if we don't have those spontaneous times, there's at least this time. And one of the analogies I was thinking would use is if you're talking to Christians, they'll probably go to church every Sunday at a scheduled <laughs> time for a scheduled worship service. And they have no problem with worship being treated that way. But when it comes to sex, no, 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 you just can't do it that way. That's a really good point because we don't seem to have any problem saying that you could have a meaningful connection with God mm-hmm. at a scheduled time every week. Right. Well, likewise, we should be able to have a meaningful connection with our spouse at a scheduled time. Yeah. And I, I think for you women out there, this would greatly benefit your husbands, especially if you've got a husband who keeps going through his life wondering, okay, how long is it going to be before the next time? comes around so he can at least always have one time a week he can depend on yeah i think that that's a good thing and when people ask me how frequently should they make love i usually do say at least once a week Mm. um and there's various reasons for that but that but that does kind of take some of the anxiety away for for a higher drive spouse to know uh whether it's the man or the woman to, to know that look you know at least once a week this is going to happen right you know, we, 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 we've talked so much about men like this, and one of the reasons is because I, I, I keep thinking of this one scene. I'm a game show junkie. Uh-huh. And I watch Steve Harvey's Family Feud, and one of my favorite clips I could go on YouTube and watch is a question he had where he asked 100 married men, I would blank for sex. That, I saw that. It was hilarious. Yes, and the women were saying things like, cook, clean and the guys say pay lie beg kill (laughs) yes and steve robbie advised you don't know how deep this runs with us yes yes i think you know i think that that's true for a lot of marriages it really is i think though that there are some where the uh, because i definitely hear from many of them uh wives who are higher drive than their husbands. And there's there's some reasons for that. Um, but I think a lot of times those husbands, because of that um, belief out there that all men are revved up and ready to go, I think those men who are not so much have a particularly hard time speaking up and seeking help because they feel like, wow, you know, I'm going to lose my man card if I admit this. 
Yeah. And um and and but that's not that's not true. There's um there's numerous reasons why a man might might have a lower drive than his wife, including, you know, high stress. So you know, there's a, something you've <clears throat> talking about there with um, what you often see in such because well, first off, the thing that I was thinking about before was how about women having a higher drive. There's a guy who does, Mark Gunger, I think is his name, Laugh Your Way to yes. Marriage. And Allie and I like so much when, when he's talking about sexuality. He says, now, let me tell you men something. You know, some of you, you're married to women who love it. They can't get enough. They want constantly. And I think I speak on behalf of all men out there when I say we hate you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I get that. I definitely get that. Um, there are, because there are people who've also said things to me, like just with my website, you know, so, well, what does your husband think about you writing about sex so much? And I said, are you kidding me? This is, <laughs> I, I, I think sometimes I might have to stop him from swaggering. <laughs> I, I mean, that, that would be just such a big sense of, honor because <laughs> for us men what uh, what the women usually think is well we need to do this to keep our men happy but the thing is we men are often saying no this is how we want to make you happy that's true and that's one of the things i also tell wives a lot is you know what he really gets turned on turning you on Right. And that is a really big deal for men. Yeah. They they want to um, they want to pleasure their wives, and it also it it makes them feel potent. And um, I you know hey I I think that wives should say well alrighty then let's do that. <laughs> so uh, it it's it's certainly this is one of the things I think it, one of the theological things that we've gotten wrong is this idea is sex is is just for men or it's mm-hmm. to keep men happy. God made this for both wives and husbands. We're different in how we approach this and how we engage in it, but we're supposed to both come out with something beautiful from it, and we're supposed to both enjoy this experience. It's not just for him or her. It's for both of you. Yeah, I I think most men out there would say you could put a woman before them who was a perfect 10 in every way and let him do everything he wanted to do but show no interest, no response, just that kind of idea of go ahead and get it over with, they wouldn't care a bit. It it would just be meaningless to them. Uh-huh. And this is one of the things I also hear. A lot of wives, their hang-up is their looks. Mm-hmm. They feel very, very self-conscious about their appearance. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have, as women, we have our own challenges in our society of being pressured to look a certain way. Um, and then we we are well aware that you guys notice beautiful women. Mm-hmm. We, we see it. And so then it kind of adds to this thing, well, they just must want the beautiful woman. But when husbands have, have talked to me or spoken up on my blog, what they almost always say is, you know what? I don't really care about the extra 40 pounds that my wife is carrying or that she's not, you know, a particular body type or this or that. Mm-hmm. If she, I think she's beautiful and I love her. And if she was enthusiastic in the marriage bed, that would be the perfect, that would be just the masterpiece to him. 
Yeah, Nate, uh, I can say up there that for us men, for the most part, that part of us that makes it very easy to notice other women and such. We would be thrilled if we could find a way to switch that off entirely. It, it would be wonderful. Yeah. To, oh, noticing other women. Yes. Yeah, I. You know, I think though there's a. We all have some tendency humans to notice beauty wherever it occurs, we even in nature. So it's not, you know, completely unreasonable that if we would notice someone who is particularly attractive, um, I think what happens is the, the, the looking and the ogling and the thinking and all of that. And, and that's a big one for husbands who are listening. Um, please don't comment on the beauty of another woman. Mm -hmm. I, I don't, I know there are some women who say that doesn't bother them, but the vast majority of women I hear from, it does bother them. They are constantly feeling like they're compared to other women in society and feeling like they don't measure up. And they really don't want to hear that from their husbands. And they just need encouragement and reassurance. And, and you know, if you see a beautiful woman, you're, we know you're, you have two eyes. We get it move those eyes away and back onto your wife. Yeah. You know, it, it, this isn't about me here, but I think my wife would be, would say, you know, this, my husband, if anything doesn't seem to care too much at all, because usually if she points out anyone on TV and such, says, do you think she's pretty? I refuse to answer that. <laughs> ever, never, never, never say, honey, I do not want to even entertain the idea in my head, okay? <laughs> there can be no comparison out there whatsoever. I mean, the only exception I could make is, for instance, like I said, we've got a friend who's getting married next month. I mean, if I go see him and I meet his bride for the first time and say, what do you think? I say, well, friend, you found a beautiful and special young lady there. I, I think that would probably be just fine in that uh -huh. But, uh, yeah. No. Yeah. The the correct answer is something like, uh, "No one is as pretty as you in my eyes." <laughs> so, which you know what, most guys really believe that in the sense that they see not just the um, outer appearance; right. they see beyond that. I mean, I am well aware. I've now been married past twenty years, and I understand objectively speaking. My husband was more attractive 20 years ago, <laughs> okay? I know he had fewer wrinkles, had a little more hair, he had a little more muscle, you know. Mm -hmm. I know that objectively, but to me, he is more attractive now mm -hmm. because we have lived this life together. We have this bond. Mm -hmm. um, I have memorized those wrinkles. I know, uh, you know, where the freckles are, and so... It's, it's a different feeling. And so I think that we need to recognize that about each other, that we can, we can change appearance and maybe not look as good as we would like to look and actually see our spouse as even more appealing. Yeah, and, you know, one of the things that I'd say about that is it, it kind of worked oddly in our marriage because when my wife first saw me, it wasn't in person. It was on Facebook because we lived in different states. And she saw my picture, and she immediately thought, big nerd. 
I do not want anything to do with this romantically. Well, that didn't last long. We were married in less than a year. Yeah. Yeah. That's, but you know, that's the other thing too, is initial impressions. We, we, you grow into the, these ways of seeing each other. You know, something also I think that we should stress with when women say they don't want to do anything because they're worried about their bodies and such, even though they probably don't intend it and they don't mean it, they're not making just a statement about themselves. They're making a statement about their husbands as well. Yeah, I've had women who um, persist in telling their husbands things like, oh, you're crazy. You, uh, you can't really think I'm beautiful. Why? You, you need to stop saying that or this or that, or you're just saying that. And uh, a lot of them don't realize that's calling your husband a liar <laughs> um, because he's saying something and if and he really believes it and you're just shooting him down. Mm-hmm. And you're also saying that you know him better than he knows himself. Um, it's it's fairly arrogant. Um, but but I, I mean, I understand where it comes from. It comes from this deep insecurity, but it, there's no positive outcome to that. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the ways that we get this message wrong, I think, it's just something that you talk about in your book. If you look at movies or TV shows and such, it seems to be pretty easy for a guy to get a girl to go to bed with him. Yeah. <laughs> and then husbands have figured out, a lot of husbands have figured out it's not mm-hmm. um, <laughs> as easy as originally thought. I think what happens is we look at the movies and um, it seems like it's within moments she is good to go. Mm-hmm. And it takes, you know, there's a little more build up here that needs to happen. And it is that thing you talked about how sex starts at breakfast Mm -hmm. and there's just this life you're living together and it takes a little while longer for a a lot of women to become aroused, to be engaged. Um, There's just also learning one another's bodies. Mm -hmm. You know, women don't react in all the same ways. Mm -hmm. We are very different people, even across us gender. So we need to kind of learn one another. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the great dangerous areas that women don't often realize they're out on a movie night with their husbands, for instance, and there is a sex scene of sorts in the movie. There's a, there a section in the book through a, through a man's eyes, I think it was called, by Shanti Feldhorn and Craig Gross, Grossriffer, mm-hmm. who are talking to a married couple and using this as an example. They say, did you ever see the sex scene in Cold Mountain movie of the past. I've never seen it. And the wife, and they, they said they'd seen the movie 10 years ago. I, I said, I don't remember there being a sex scene in that. And my husband just lifts his eyes up and says, yep, there was. The men will always remember that. And that, that makes it much harder on them because they have that idea playing in their heads the whole time then. Huh, that's really interesting because I've gone back and tried to uh, queue up movies to watch with our teenage sons, and I often do not remember things that I saw when I was younger, whether or not they have sex scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's, and so it's been interesting. I've had to go research and been like, what? There's a sex scene in that movie? I don't remember that. That's so- funny, but men, men just have that Rolodex going in their heads constantly. And if women are saying, 
well, I wish he didn't have a Rolodex in my head. I wish I, he'd be thinking about me instead. And I say, well, this is one of the main reasons to be doing this also. It makes it a whole lot easier for him to think about you that way. But this is the kind of interesting thing of what you look at um, the sex in the movies and how it always appears that women are just eager and they can't wait and it doesn't take very long to anyway the the opposite side of that is why do women uh read so many romance novels and watch chick flicks Um, shades of gray well yeah but 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 aside from 50 shades of gray which is an entirely different thing but the the truly sort of the romance building things that the chick flicks we think of where it can take two hours for this couple to get to the point where they have a kiss Mm. and Women are like, that's just fine. You know, we're just fine with all that back and forth and all the tension and the wooing and the romance and the this and that. And then finally, oh, he kisses her and the the end scrolls up on the screen. And I I think there is kind of a a thing, you know, where guys are like, well, this was a waste of time. Um, It is just show something different about us. That the women are are really very much engaged in that kind of emotional interaction and that build up. Yeah, what uh, I posted on my Facebook maybe a month or so ago is uh, we actually watch sometimes Home Improvement on Hallmark. I found it was on, and I watched that show when I was younger, and it's a whole lot funnier I think to watch now that I'm married and I can understand a lot more of the jokes and such. Mm-hmm. I, I wrote a post on Facebook shortly after that and. Singing something like, uh, girl moves into town, girl meets guy, girl thinks guy's a jerk, girl is forced to work with the guy, girl interacts with guy over and over, girl develops love for the guy, guy doesn't seem interested, big mis- decision takes place, girl starts dating the guy, girl ha- decides, has to decide if she's going to leave town or stay with the guy, girl winds up staying with the guy, everyone's happy together, we all learn about from me and Christmas. There you go, girls. I've described every single Hallmark movie that is out there already. Okay? <laughs> yes, yes. That is that is a perpetual story in in romance for women, and uh, but I think that there, you know, we that's I also tell wives that's um, an extreme version too. You mm-hmm. don't expect him to to do all of that every single time to get you. <laughs> that is. <laughs> Um, who has time for that? Mm-hmm. But it, there's somewhere kind of in between those is is where, you know, some reality actually exists. And we need to adjust our expectations to a real woman, a real man, and what you are actually like together and your personalities and your time and just your values. And you guys, you need to learn one another. Mm-hmm. You know, I think this is also going to get us to the humorous aspect. Because if you talk about sex in movies and TV shows, such, it seems like everything always flows perfectly and wonderfully. Such. But meanwhile, College Humor once put out a video about like if sex scenes were anything, you know, were in the movies were like they are in real life. And I was like, there's a couple of them. And I was like, oh, look, there's a picture of your grandmother right there. Like, Let me turn off my cell phone and every single thing going wrong that could. Yep, that's more realistic. Well, yeah, because in the movies, they've got script writers, a director. They've got camera people and different angles. They have lighting people. They have a cosmetic artist. Mm -hmm. They might even have a body double. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So the whole thing 
is directed to kind of um, hint at real life, but not be anything really at, at all like real life. Mm. So you, you kind of have to adjust your expectations in that too. And it, I mean, I think if you've been married for a while, you're, you will have realized, you know, these are some awkward positions or I just banged my head on the headboard or banged his head on the headboard mm-hmm. or, you know, you start to fall off the bed or, <laughs> you know, or parents out there, you've had your kids interrupt with a knock on the door or a yell or what is that sound? <laughs> and it's, it, you know, you, you, then you're giggling and it's, it's very different in that moment. Back in 2012, my wife and I actually watched the Olympics, which was very surprising because I'm not much into sports, but I could find myself actually getting into the Olympics. I mean, I'm the guy that when the Super Bowl comes on, she wants to watch it. I'm sitting there with my book the whole time, except when the commercials come on, and then I care about what's on. But in the 2012 Olympics, they had that commercial with the little boy got me up the stairs. Hey, mom! Hey, mom! And you hear the music start playing. He opens the door and it, and it said the music starts with the guy saying, "Parents in bed. It's just eight o'clock. That's why they told you you should always knock." <laughs> yes, yes, that's happened to to plenty of parents. Either being walked on or walked in on, or you know, interrupted in some way. Mm-hmm. And we just need to have a good sense of humor about that. Yeah. Mm, that that is why you say hot, holy, and humorous. Yeah, I mean, I think of all the things that God could have created for sex to be. I mean, there's some amazing, beautiful, intimate, gorgeous things about it. Mm. But there's also some things that are just kind of awkward. Mm. You know, the fact that you have to get naked and that you do have to get in these positions that you don't strike at any other time in your life. And there is just some sense of humor built into it. Some that I tell guys when they get married, say, you know what, when you start off the first time, it's going to be good, but don't think you've reached the pinnacle at that point because honestly, things get better and better because it's something you have to work at. And when you do things your first time, you're really just getting started. You're not going to be the pianist who sits down the first time and plays a symphony. Right. Right. It takes practice. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's the, there's something called determined practice where you kind of focus on the things you need to learn and you do go over them. And, and I think that that's important to do. And, and especially for husbands to say, okay, let me figure out what makes your body feel good? Mm-hmm. And take that time and s- slow down and and let her learn. Also, I think that men, because of the way y'all are built, you're kind of always a little more aware of your equipment. Mm-hmm. And um, we ladies, we're you know things are tucked away, mm-hmm. and so there maybe needs to be a little more time to explore and and help her figure out what what brings her pleasure and, and just kind of relax about it. Everything doesn't have to be perfect a hundred percent. Every time you guys can learn each other a little bit. You know, when I was talking to this friend, I said, you know, you'd, when, when your time comes after a wedding, you want to do things ASAP. You know what that means? As soon as possible. Normally it does, but this time it means as slow as possible. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yeah. Now, 
some of the women out there, because for the time being, until we say otherwise, I'm going to be kind of assuming the man has a higher drive, are thinking, you know, I, I could do this more often, but it, it's kind of embarrassing. I mean, I, I don't want to just go up to my husband and say, hey, you want to have sex? You know, your husband would probably love that. I mean, how can she better let her husband know? How can she initiate, as it were? I recently had a post on that with very specific ideas, something like 40 ways to initiate with your husband. Mm-hmm. Um, but some, some of the ideas in there are things that you can do very subtle. But I think that a lot of guys, they just like it straightforward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know if that sounds crazy to say, do you want to have sex? But it is something that you could just say to your husband, hey, I just want to let you know that if you want to engage tonight, I'm willing. Mm-hmm. Or... You can, um, you know, show him part of your body and dress in front of him or, you know, pop into the shower with him in the morning and say, hey, you know, tonight, let's um, let's revisit this, you and me together like this. Um, but you can do also a lot of romantic things mm-hmm. for those people who have a Spock or just who, you know, just enjoy this. Mm-hmm. Set some romance and do the things that would make you feel more sensual and engaged and set the scene maybe set up the bedroom where when he comes in there's music playing and there's you know a candle and you've got the lotion out and you offer to give him a massage um i i don't know i think most men think that that all massages should with your your spouse should turn into sex but they don't all turn out that way guys but (laughs) but it is a good way to get going (laughs) You know, we talked about, you know, jumping into a shower. When I was talking to this friend, he remembered an image I shared once with uh, this lady talking to her husband. Say, hey, I'm going to go uh, take a shower. Do you want to join me? And that's in the top and the bottom one has him saying, honey, there's a gun in a safe in the basement. If I ever answer no to that question, I want you to use it on me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do think that, you know, men respond to the visual stuff or, you know, put on something that's slinky, that's a, that's a clear message or, you know, slip into the bed naked. That's kind of hard to misread. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, some women out could be saying, if my man is fingering like that, if he's so physical like that, doesn't that mean my husband is just a pervert? Uh, no. This is a short answer is no, it doesn't. And I think that this is one of the problems is that that some of it is communication and some of it is our teaching. It is this idea that we have that sex is for men or that sex is just physical um, or is and some of it is men having a harder time expressing how deep and, and how emotional this is for them. But we can get in mind all of those things. I also think that porn has um, really done a huge number on our society today, it, the, just the prevalence of it. It certainly existed when I was younger, but it is so much more accessible now. Um, and so there, there are men who have, who have had to deal with that, who have had uh, porn watching in their past or have had dealt with a habit. And I think that also feeds into this belief among a lot of wives that, well, men are just pervs because, you know, it must be pervs who watch porn. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, I'm certainly anti-porn. Any any guy who's watching porn, and I'm telling you right now, it is damaging your sex life, Mm -hmm. and you need to get help and stop. But that is something I think that that also women need to understand. That's a real struggle for men because they're being appealed to 
right where their weakness is. Mm-hmm. And we need to come alongside them and recognize the desire for sex is not anything perverted. Mm-hmm. Any more than uh, it needs to be in the right context, in the right place. And so we wives can have, be that safe place and that right place. Mm-hmm. And, and I talked to you earlier about kind of my own story, and part of it is the same thing. It's like if you are, if you are pursuing it outside of how God intended, yes, it's, it is tainted. It really is tainted. Mm-hmm. But it took me a little bit of time within marriage to feel like, you know what? It's okay for me entirely thoroughly to enjoy this, and I don't have to carry guilt about it anymore mm-hmm. um, because— this is all sanctioned, approved, blessed. And I think that's what we need to remind ourselves of that. Yeah, I'd like to let everyone know that you're listening to the Deeper Waters podcast. My guest this week is Jay Parker. She is a Christian marriage and sex author, and she's the author of the book Hot, Holy, and Humorous. But if you're listening next week, I'm going to have a very special guest on here. And since all, most of you have never heard of him, but he's someone very special to me. David Sorrell is going to be joining me, and we're going to be talking about how to deal with a transgender issue and what all the problems are. Now, why is this guy so special to me? Because this guy was actually my roommate when we were going to seminary. And when it came time for me to marry my Audi, he was my best man. And I've been wanting to get him to come on the show where I talk about his interest in apologetics. And he's done a lot of research on transgender. So next week, David Sorrell finally comes on the show to talk about transgenderism. And now let's get back to the, talking with Jay about her book. You know, something that I always say about how this is such a huge temptation for men that I'd, I'd like to tear every woman out because I don't think they really care. So imagine how it is for you when you're trying to lose those last five or ten pounds or so, and you're at the grocery store and you see the cookies section or the ice cream section, and what a huge temptation it is at that point. Welcome to the world your man lives in pretty much every time he sees a woman whether it's on TV, just walking down the street, or even browsing through pictures on Facebook, because women will put pictures of themselves on Facebook. Not saying they shouldn't do it, but men cannot avoid seeing women, and that temptation pops up. If you want to know what it's like for them trying to resist all day, just think about going for the ice cream section or the cookie section. Yeah, there are certainly struggles we have, and we need to pay attention to what our individual challenges are and show compassion for our spouse. Now, you were talking some also about pornography, and I think it's extremely important to talk about this. In some some guy could be saying, look, just a little bit. It's no big deal. How is this really harming my marriage? Well, there are so many ways. I mean, how long do you have? <laughs> uh, but I'll, I'll just give a few. One is that uh, what I talked about earlier is how vulnerable it is for a woman in the marriage bed and how she needs to feel this kind of security. And, um, and you know what? Pornography destroys that. Mm-hmm. because And all those issues about appearance, too, come into bear because you and your basically drawing away your sexual energy from her and putting it toward this other woman. And 
that is feels like cheating for her. And she's going to have a really hard time opening up to you because in her mind, you're just comparing her to that woman. And truth is, you kind of are. Even if you're not comparing her appearance, you're comparing that enthusiasm that maybe the porn star has who got paid to do that, by the way. And so it just it convolutes that. It also convolutes the expectations men have. So they have these unrealistic expectations. And then when they get to the marriage bed and their wife isn't like that, they think there's something wrong with their wife. And there isn't. It's an unrealistic perspective of sex that has been portrayed. Um, there are also now, if uh, of course, there's how wrong it is because it really is involving a third person in your marriage. It's, it, you know, Jesus said, lusting after a woman is like adultery. So you cannot tell me you you can watch porn and not lust after a woman. So mm-hmm. tell me what that means. And then finally, I would say, if nothing else gets you, men, I'll tell you this: that there is increasing evidence that watching a lot of porn affects your own ability to perform. Mm -hmm. And there are men out there who are having difficulty performing sexually unless that they are plugged into pornography because the real experience of sex is not doing it for them because their minds have been trained for imagery as opposed to an actual woman. Mm-hmm. Now, let's be fair also because sadly, a lot of women get caught up in pornography as well. What effects does that have on their marriage? Um, it's interesting because some of what I've seen, and I don't know how true it is, but that that uh, women sometimes watch porn for to get themselves into how the woman behaves more than the man. I don't. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Like yeah. the woman tends to identify with the woman and try to engage that that kind of feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it damages the, the woman too because uh, one of the things that I notice is that a, a lot of women who uh, have watched porn have very low expectations and very poor boundaries. Um, there's a lot of abuse of women mm-hmm. in porn, a lot. And so those women can get the idea that this is okay to happen to their bodies mm-hmm. um, and, and, and to be damaged as part of some sort of sexual arousal experience. Mm-hmm. And I worry about that a great deal. Mm-hmm. Now, when we talk about this also, one of the reasons you said about porn is wrong for men is because their wives can feel like they have to compete. I think it's important to know that men can often feel like they have to compete because men can struggle just as much with their body image. Well, that's absolutely true. And one of the things also I hear a lot from men is concern about their size. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, porn certainly inflates that. Um, so it can have this idea that that's what, what uh, women expect. And, uh, you know, just rest assured, guys, uh, wives largely report that's not what it's about. And for I say for the women up there, this thing that largely for the most part, nothing screams respect, affection, everything else to your husband but this. No matter how he thinks he looks and such, if you think he is the man and you treat him like that, that is enough for him. Yeah, beautifully put. Mm-hmm. 
Now, one area of this we have to cover some as well is that sadly a lot of women have some bad ideas about sex, and it's not through any fault of their own. It's not through porn or anything like that. It's through abuse. What do you say here? This this is probably the thing that breaks my heart the most is um, sexual abuse. And it happens to both women and men, but women are more often victims. Mm-hmm. And it happens a lot of times in childhood. And I can just think of nothing more heartbreaking to me than to attack a child in their most vulnerable ways. And, um, and it has a lifelong uh, scar for so many. But the thing is, I think one of the deals is we need to fess up to the reasons. A lot of uh, wives actually will try to bury this instead of being honest and saying, this happened to me, and this is why I'm reacting this way. And uh, the women that I know that have come through this and turned it out with really good sexual intimacy in their marriages, they were able to, they spoke to their husbands, they asked for what they needed from their husbands and said, look... When you touch me in this way, it reminds me of this, and I need a little bit of time to retrain. So if I need you to stop, let me just kind of breathe and slow down. We'll try this again or whatever. Um, because I just I just think you can work this out together, but it does take some communication and some understanding and some patience. But you can get there. It may be a little bit of a harder road, but you can absolutely get there. And what you what happens kind of is there's a tipping point is that for these people who have been abused, sex has been in this particular context that is uh, was damaging. And there's just kind of this clinching inside that immediately happens. But after some time, when when the balance goes the other way, when you've had so many positive experiences with sex with your spouse, those old memories kind of start to fade. Now, it doesn't mean that you're, you're not aware of what happened. You don't forget what happened, but you begin to have reactions in your body that are more in line with what your sexual life is now. Mm-hmm. And for these women, there's no shame also in a couple going to see a marriage counselor, is there? No, no, none at all. That's often how a lot of uh, people get through these things is they find counseling or find support groups. They reach out for help. And I say this, look, it's like anything else. A lot of times we want to put mental and emotional health in a different category. But, uh, you know, if if you had a a broken leg, (laughs) you would not ignore that. If you were kept hurting and hurting and hurting every time you put weight on your foot, you would say, I've got to get this worked out. And if you went to one doctor and it didn't get fixed, you'd go to another. Look, you've got an actual wound and it needs to be treated. And so if you need to go reach out and persist until you can work this out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do men need to be doing in the meanwhile, if this is going on, because men want to love their wives and such at the same time. It's got to be frustrating saying, yeah, I want to love her, but I'm having to wait so long. Yeah, I, th- I think that there's some practical things you can do to, to work out in the meantime. I, it, some of it depends on how severe the, the abuse was and how her reactions have been. Some just need a little bit more time and say, okay, you know what? I, 
just as long as you don't touch me here and that, or that's just, you know, let me breathe through that and then we're okay. We can keep going. Um, there are other women who, uh, for instance, there's a condition called vaginismus where there's a clenching of the, of the muscles and some women who've, who've experienced abuse. And it's not just women who've experienced abuse that have that, but, but among women who've been abused, that is something that happens is this sort of this automatic reaction. It's an actual physical thing and it be in, they have pain in intercourse. And so it takes, there's some specific treatments you can do with that. And so you really, you're not going to be able to complete intercourse until some of that's worked out. Mm-hmm. Yes, then this is, but this is where we need to see that sexuality is more than just intercourse. Right. There's a whole lot of things that we can do. And that does not mean that you cannot take care of, of other stuff. And you can request that gently and say, look, here's what I really need is I want to be close to you. And maybe, you know, you'll, uh, you know, we can kiss and touch and this and that. And, you know, we can take care of this. Yeah, that's something. In fact, I was going to be saying just now that that I like about your book is that you asked about how to do simpler things like just kissing. And there's a whole chapter in the book on kissing. Yes, yes. I think that married couples don't kiss enough. Mm-hmm. We <laughs> we get married and we kind of don't spend as much time doing that. And I think also for a lot of guys, because there is the, the hope of sex, it's kind of like, well, the goal is sex, and I'm just going to kiss her long enough to get the sex. <laughs> and then we forget the kissing itself is pretty fun, too. Maybe we need to linger there a little while. Yeah. I need to this day, still, if I go out the door to get some of I goes out the door to be with a friend such, still kiss her, tell her I love her every single time before we part ways. I mean, it's not likely, but you don't know what could happen when mm-hmm. one of you goes out that door. And the last thing I want to have known is message, I love you. And that, that, that be that. Yeah. Uh, one of the things we've been concentrating on in, in our marriage is, is having a little bit longer uh, welcome home kisses for whoever gets home. Yeah. Um, but it used to be kind of a peck. It was like the ob- obligatory peck. And now it's like, you know what? Maybe we should really say, I'm really glad you're home with our kiss. <laughs> I remember when I was dating my wife, they lived out of state. So I had to travel out of state to go see her. I mean, this is, you talk about uh, uh, spending a lot on a date. I had to drive her for 200 miles for a date, or she had to come that way to see me. Yeah. But I mean, the first time I went to see her, at the old house we lived, it was pretty much most of the living area was on the main floor, and the kitchen was there, too. Upstairs were some of the bedrooms, and downstairs there was a basement, and that was where my wife slept, actually. And the first time we met and we were going out together, I had taken her to the Georgia Aquarium. And then we came back home, and she wanted me to watch Beauty and the Beast with her. I'd never seen that movie before, honestly. And so she, uh, we were downstairs there watching, and her younger brother, just about three or four years younger, so a teenager, able to know about dating and things like that, of course, dear. He's going to go downstairs and get a snack. And her, we found out later that her mother said, um, Nick and Allie are downstairs on my couch right now, and they're cuddling you might not want to go down there. 
<laughs> we never saw him the whole night. And to this day, I can also still remember that every time we were out driving together, we pulled up to a red light. I sure wasn't complaining. That just gave us more time to turn and kiss each other. Yeah. You know, I think the other thing, too, is parents in front of kids, we don't, uh, we worry sometimes about doing that in front of the kids. And I mean, look, you can cross the line. They don't want to see everything. But if your kids kind of wince a little bit when you kiss, it, that's, they're doing that for effect. Okay. <laughs> and, um, you know, our kids are really, they get it. And I think that we're modeling for them that this is what a healthy marriage looks like. So now, honestly, the last few years, my teen sons, if they walk in the room and we're kissing, they're like, oh, y'all are at it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they don't they don't complain. And sometimes they'll smile. And I'm thinking, see, see, this is what you guys should know. This is uh, what you can look forward to. I want them to know that, that um, the, the message out there in society that marriage is where uh, love and sex goes to die, not true. Mm. <laughs> it's not true. It's the complete opposite. Opposite. You can have romance, love, and sex all in marriage. Yeah, that's one reason I like to post so much affection on my Facebook page. Because I want everyone out there to know, yeah, my wife and I, we love each other. And one of the things they really say also see us is, I think there's a secret rule on Facebook amongst all my friends. They say, okay. Now let's watch this page, and if anyone inserts Audi, stay out of the way, get some popcorn, enjoy the show. It's going to be a good one. <laughs> I would go after him. She even had a friend who was in the military once who started going after him, and he told her, I'm scared of your husband. And I'm thinking, good, I want you to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's just something about keeping that alive. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 I think it's also very good because then it, it's kind of like a halfway ground because the husbands will tend to think sex is the fourth year and such. And since they're right, and the women say, I want to be romantic, but I don't want it to always be sex. And since they're right, simple things like kissing and such just go a long way towards that. Yes, they do. A lot of the small gestures just kind of keep keep us in touch. You know, I, holding her hand when you're walking to the store together into church, mm-hmm. you know, put your arm around her. Those small things um, that just communicate, I'm right here for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we've got a neighbor who's dating some such. And, you know, when you're not doing things in front of your, your children, so I said, look, if you want to find a good guy, an honorable guy, and watch how he treats his mother. That's the kind of guy you want. Yeah. they. they I, that's actually one of the rules that I gave my sons about dating is, is I needed, to, they could start dating when certain things happen. And one of them was when I, when I feel that you can really respect women, when I see, I look around and I see the way you respect women. Mm-hmm. And one of those things uh, that my husband stressed to them is, you know, that means that I were watching how you treat your mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at the same time, mothers eventually, I, I have to tell them out there, when the time comes and your son's getting married <clears throat> and he finds that special girl, 
you have to learn you are no longer number one. <laughs> that's that's true too. <laughs> yeah, that's true too. Um, so, but I, I have great sons on that, and uh, I I plan to make great friends with their wives someday. <laughs> well, I like to let everyone know <clears throat> you're listening to the Deeper Waters podcast. Everything we do here is listener supported, and <clears throat> if you want to take part of that. Go to deeperwatersapologetics.com. There, it's our new site. You just scroll up and down, such. And at one point, you're going to see some help support for work of Deeper Waters Christian Ministries. Now, in that section, there is a link there. And you click that, and you'll go to Risen Jesus Ministries. Have you gone to the right place? Yes. That's the ministry of Mike and Debbie Lacona, and they are my in-laws. And so, if you make your donation there, then they will, they will get me information about it. And all you have to do then is contact them or me or Allie and say, hey, I made a donation. I want to go to Nick Peters. I want to go to Deeper Waters. We will get that donation then. We'll get all of it. It will be tax deductible. Then, there are other things you can do. You can buy ebooks that I've either written or co-written. And yes, for those out there interested, I am starting to begin the process of working on my own marriage book because a lot of you have seen the things I post on Facebook saying, dude, you should write a book. I've heard it enough times. Okay, I'm going to do it. But <clears throat> once we get out there now, one that I've written is A Creed for the Ages, the Apostles' Creed and Today's Christian. And then there's also... Books that I've co-written, such as Defining Inerrancy or Groundless or God and Natural Disasters. And then there's another way, and that's, now guys, we're talking about uh, showing affection to your wives and such. Some of you might not get this, but women tend to like jewelry. Often, not all of them do, but quite a few of them do like jewelry. So if you want to buy your wife some jewelry, do it through us. There's a link there. My friend Lena Cluster handles all of that. And you give her the access code LOVE and let her know or let me know about it. Whatever you buy, 25% of your purchase will go to Deeper Waters. So guys, you can buy a real fancy piece of jewelry for your wife, something that will make up for that screw-up that you made recently, or something that will make up for that screw-up that I know you're going to make in the near future. And if you can't do any of this, please let me know you appreciate the show, get in touch with me, Talk. tell me what you liked me, maybe something you'd like to see changed about it. And go on iTunes and leave a positive review. I really love to see these reviews. Now, Jay, do you have a uh, a blog, a website, oh, or some? I'm sorry, do you have something that you'd like to see uh, people donate to? Actually, I just I have a heart for those who are doing ministries against sexual trafficking. Mm-hmm. That is a big part of actually now the porn industry is and where they're getting people. And it is just heartbreaking. And that is a lot of abuses going on. And so there are a lot of good organizations. So I don't have a specific one to recommend. But if someone is feels moved in that way, that go hunt down a good sexual trafficking charity. Yeah, my father-in-law told me once about 
rather than someone who uh, who deals in the area of helping pe- people with sexual abuse and such. And he said that every time they drove by a truck stop, this guy prayed because he said there is a lot of sex trafficking that goes on at those places. Yes, yes. You know, that's something that we could <clears throat> key into a little bit for because one of the main damages of this is something that would surprise a lot of people out there is that sex is supposed to be holy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, and when I was choosing my name, that was one of the things that first kind of came up to me is that it was holy. And I think that's because for me, it was the contrast um, that hit me most was of what I had experienced before when I was doing things not God's way. And then when I shifted into being sexual in the way God wanted me to be, it I realized this was a holy thing, that this was a God-sanctioned thing, and this was a beautiful thing, and it actually honored Him. Mm-hmm. I think that's something we've missed largely in the church because we've seen how well the world does it, and we keep thinking if we're enjoying it in such we're doing it the same way, and I can make no, we should be giving the world competition and show them the way that it's supposed to be done. Because a lot of people usually have the attitude of, of sexing. I grew up being taught two things about sex. Number one, sex is dirty. Number two, I should save it for someone I love. <laughs> Such contrasting things, but yeah, that's a lot of what people hear. I mean, what I've said is that, that the biggest thing I heard about sex was just don't. Yeah. And, and that never told you, okay, but do when you get married. It didn't tell you what to do. It was just entirely focused on what you shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. And um, and I didn't even feel like I really got great reasoning for it. So, and, and there weren't a lot of people even willing to talk about it in the church at the time. Mm-hmm. So, I think what happens for a lot of people, unfortunately, is when they're looking for answers, if they don't get them from fellow Christians, if they don't get them from the church, um, or their parents or people around them, then they start seeking other sources. Mm-hmm. And the message out there about sex and society is entirely different from what God wants us to know. So we've got to start speaking about the sex God made, this holy act. Yeah. And I keep thinking about when I was in Bible college and the church that I was attending at the time, they had a ceremony one night that was the silver ring thing, which is kind of true love weight, saving yourself from marriage and such. The associate pastor got up to give a talk. And he said, now, I want you to know, if you have sex before you get married, you're going to be doing it for selfish reasons. And I'm thinking, okay. Yeah, I can agree, agree with that. And he said, you know, you might want to ask yourself these questions. What happens if I get pregnant? What if I get an STD? What about the shame that we're experiencing. What about the guilt I face? What will I have to tell my future spouse sometime on a wedding night? And I'm listening to this, I'm thinking, those are true concerns, yes, but those also sound pretty selfish to me as well. And the more it kept going on, I realized something. I was getting bored during this talk. And as I tell people when I tell a story, if you are talking about sex, and there is a college-age guy in the audience, and he is getting bored doing <laughs> it wrong. Yeah, yeah. I think that the message has got to be, you know what? You need to hold out for the best, and the best is coming. Mm-hmm. And 
because that's, you know, I wish that I had known that. And the biggest thing I lost was not, um, and what I tell people is it's, yes, there can be an unplanned pregnancy. There can be an STD. There can be many different things, but what really is, uh, the problem is the wound that you, that you get from that and how it changes how you view yourself and your relationships and how you approach your marriage because you're approaching your marriage now with this baggage and um, and you don't want that, but you also don't want that for your husband and for your family and for your future. And ultimately, it is, as David said, the one we sin against is God. Mm-hmm. And so there is a... a there was a kind of a break in the relationship with God when I took those steps because I was essentially saying to God, I don't want the gift you want to give me. I'm going to go get what I want. Mm-hmm. And even though his gift was so much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've uh, had Robert Gagnon on my show before. He's the author uh-huh. of the Bible and Homosexuality. I'm, it's, from what, what you sound about, I'm pretty sure you're familiar with him. Uh, he's a name I, I recognize, so. Yeah. yeah, he's probably the leading conservative Christian writer on the subject of homosexual practice. And what he's said before is that every church should have a sermon on sex at least once a month. I think most churches are lucky if they have it once a year. Yeah, we we struggle with it, which is kind of fascinating because you can't go very far reading the Bible without encountering it, and God doesn't ever shy away from it. Uh, I remember reading the starting to read the Bible to my kids when they were young, and I, you know, then you you hit on on uh, several different passages where you're like, oh my gosh, Lot and his daughters, and then there's something else, and you know, just in Genesis, there's so much Joseph with Potiphar's wife, and it's just it's all in there, and it's not diluted. It's very honest, and there are definitely warnings against those kinds of things. But there are also passages like Proverbs 5.19. that says, a loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. Mm-hmm. And that is a father speaking to his son about having a wife. And in essence, without you, scripture, you say, that's God speaking to a young man about having a wife. That's true. That's absolutely true. And so, you know, may your fountain be blessed is the, the scripture, I think, that comes before that. And yeah. so um, so there's both these warnings of, against sexual sin, but there's also so much about the blessings of doing things God the way God wants us to do. And I think that's something that we need to be willing to talk about in church. And I understand why people don't necessarily want it, you know, with their children in the pew. You know, I understand that. Um but there are lots of different contexts we, we can do that in. We can do it through sermons. We can also do those things in adult Bible classes. We can have small groups. Mm-hmm. We can. There, there's just so many different ways that we can re- reach out in our churches and get the message across. Mm-hmm. You mean, if you have to just say, for instance, that uh, we're going to be talking about this not church, make arrangement for your, make arrangements for your children. Yeah, or, or you know, ask some someone to... Um, to watch those kids who, you know, even hire babysitters or something. Find a, find a way to make it happen. You know, you're talking about also how this shows up everywhere in the Bible. One of my professors in Bible college put up something recently about reading the Bible with 
his uh, daughter, I think it was, and this is going to be appropriate with the Christmas season coming up. And you're asking, Dad, what's a virgin? <laughs> yep. Yes, that's a question. And as parents, we also need to be somewhat prepared to answer those questions. Um, it's not a comfortable topic a lot of times, but we need to make sure that, that our kids feel comfortable coming and talking to us about these things. We want to establish ourselves as a safe place to ask questions and get them answered. And we can communicate our values along with that. And if we don't, then kids are curious. Teens are really curious and they will get their answers elsewhere. Yeah. And something I've said also, and I got this from Lauren Winter and for Brooke Real Sex for Naked Truth About Chastity, is that young people and everyone today that matter needs a whole world view of sex. And because if a guy and a girl are there together and there's no one who that's around and they're on a couch and they're dating, they're going to need more than just a few verses from Paul to stop those hormones. Yeah, I've often said that the, the two things I think that I needed uh, for me was, uh, well, probably three. One, I needed some good reasons, some understanding that worldview you're talking about. Um, I also needed... Um, I needed to understand what if, what if you wait and you do get all of this other stuff? What if, what if you could have these feelings, but they're all in the good context? What if you could have this, but it's in this situation? What if you could have someone who loves you and, and you feel secure and, and cherished and all of that so that I would know what I was waiting for? But the other thing is I needed a strategy. I mean, because when you're in that moment, and all that stuff is firing up, and you don't know what to do with it. And a lot of times I think that singles will um, go too far, and then they reach a point where they're like, okay, well, this is where my boundary is, but they've already got a toe over the boundary, and it's really hard to pull back then. Yeah. It's really hard. Yeah, there's something you can see on the 12 steps of intimacy, and going forward step by step, number 12 is fought out sex. They say, if you get to number nine, you're probably not going to stop. Yeah, there there is that point where it's just really hard. Um, and, and even if you stop that time, you've set yourself up for this constant battle. And so that you're very likely to, to lose at some point. So we've got to teach that. We've got to teach some strategies. Okay, when I feel all these things, what's what do I need to do? We need to have a signal. We need to part. We need to go take a walk. We need, you know, also... Maybe you two don't need to be alone sitting on a couch in, a, in an empty house. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really not a good place to be um, because God made us also where when you do find someone and you're falling in love with them and you want to be with them, um, especially for couples who are engaged and you know this is coming, you're, you, we're going to have that sexual attraction. That's how God made us. Mm-hmm. But we need to make sure that we're doing it according to God's plan. And so we need to have some boundaries in place. And we need to teach our kids that too. That's something that I've said, look, here's some things that you need to know. You're going to feel these things. And when you feel these things, you need to do X, Y, and Z. You know, something that I think women especially need to hear at this point is some of them could be involved in dating and even thinking about things like living together and such. So saying, but you know what? If he gets to have sex with me like that, it'll just make him want to marry me all the more. 
And I'm thinking, no, it'll make him want to marry you all the less, in fact, because, hey, he's already getting everything he wants. Why should he risk anything? Yeah, and I, and I think also women, you know, like I said, I think there's something still held back when you're not committed and secure with one another. That's just not the, the context God planned. Uh, I mean, I've heard this, and I think it's a pretty good analogy. The idea of a fire is is a good thing when it's in a fireplace and it keeps the house warm. But you don't light a fire in your living room without, you, you know, you, you need to have boundaries around it. There's a place for that to be, a safe place for that to be. Yeah, I think the whole thing with these couples tribes and kind of living together and such, sex doesn't become an act of love. It becomes a test. And each person has to measure up and say, okay, do I pass the test or not? I mean, there can't be 100% sacrifice if you think you're being tested. And we have this idea that, that we need to find out if we're sexually compatible. And I can tell just about every couple is there will be a time in your marriage when you're not sexually compatible. <laughs> so, because you're not, if things change, your hormones change, your, your life situation changes, you're going to have to learn each other. And, and that's the silly idea. It's kind of like what you talked about earlier, expecting to be a pianist the, fir- the first time you sit down and you sound a note on the piano, you're not going to play Mozart. Mm-hmm. And so this idea of sexual compatibility is you, you become compatible by engaging and making love and bringing your best selves there. And that to me requires commitment and sacrifice and the attitudes that you can have in marriage. Mm-hmm. And you can build that sexual compatibility. Yeah, I, I like something that I'm getting uh, this year in Humbus is that it's amazing how the two work together, Chris. If you're building good sex together, you're going to inevitably build up a good marriage. And if you're building up a good marriage together, I think you're inevitably going to build up good sex. Yeah, I, th- I think if you bring the same attitudes to both, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I do know some people who've reported having some great sex that, uh, and then the relationship wasn't strong. But I'd argue when I talked to them, they were having some physical pleasure, but I don't know that they were having great sex. Mm-hmm. Now, something we could talk about also here, and this is the concept that, okay, I'll go ahead and grant that I do not understand this concept whatsoever, and that's the low-drive husband. Yes. Yeah, they, they're out there. And actually, there, there are not very good statistics on it. But uh, the, the ones I've seen lately are maybe 15 to 25% of marriages. So that's a lot more than, than most people think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think those low-drive husbands and their high-drive wives often feel like they are alone. And they're not. They might feel like they're a freak, and they're not. They might feel like it's hopeless, and it's not. Mm-hmm. So what do you say to the person who's the wife of a low-drive husband? I would say the biggest thing I want to say to them is that is it's not about you. <laughs> um, uh, so many of those wives think, well, it, it must be me because men are always into sex and mine isn't, so there must be something wrong with me. And a very, very, very rarely is that the issue. Um, it's almost always 
it's something else going on with him. He could have low testosterone. He could have very high stress. He could just be made differently. He could have his own baggage from his past. I mean, some men have been sexually abused. And there's a number of different reasons why he could be struggling with his, his drive. And for a lot of those men, too, it's just as frustrating to them because they also see that men are supposed to want sex all the time, according to the stories out there, and they don't. And they wonder what's wrong with them. Yeah, I, I think also in both cases, in this case, something that uh, my friend Lindsay Harrell wrote on her blog about Lindsay's logic. And she wrote this to women, and a lot of them thought it was so odd that she would say something as horrible as this and such. But she said, and I agree with it, and it was helping us, you should have sex even if you don't feel like it. I. Yeah, I think that what and what that means is not mean you're having sex against your will or you're having sex and feeling bad the whole time. That's not what it means. What it means is you don't have to feel like it at the beginning every time. Um, you might get into it. I mean, it's and it's just like you know when you're here at home and you've you uh, aren't feeling that great and you've opened up the tube of Pillsbury chocolate chip cookie dough and you're sitting there <laughs> eating that and watching a movie and your friend calls and says, you need to get out of your house. We're going to go do something. And you say, I don't feel like it. And they say, come on, I'm coming. And then you have the, the time of your life. You go out, you have a great time. Mm-hmm. That's a long way, long example to say, that's often how it happens too, is you know what, if you commit a lot of times you say, I don't really feel like it right now, but you know what, I'm going to commit to this and I'm going to go in there and really you know, give it my hundred percent. Oftentimes you'll get into it and it will feel good. You didn't think you felt like it, but you throw yourself into it and and you walk away feeling pretty good. You know, one thing you could say is for many men, receiving duty sex will not be the ideal, but it will be a step forward many times. Yeah, and it's true also for the for the lower drive husband. If he can commit instead of feeling every time like, you know, I need to be feeling like this. You know what? Maybe you don't have that strong desire, but even for those men, you know, if you're functioning, once you get there, um, I'm pretty sure you guys can figure out how to get aroused and, and make love. Yeah, you know, one of the things about this whole thing is, we think this kind of idea would be utterly bizarre in most any other context. None of us would say, well, I'm only going to tell my spouse I love them if I feel like it. I'm only going to fix dinner if I feel like it. I'm only going to change the kid's diaper if I feel like it and such. But then we think when it comes to sex, oh, yeah, if I don't feel like it, well, that's just wrong. Yeah, I th- I think it's because it feels like we are saying to people that it, that it is just an obligation. And that's not what we're saying. It's we're not saying you're not just lying there and saying, "Oh, do whatever. I don't feel like it. Just do it." That's not it at all. It's it's making a decision to participate. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a lot of it. It's just a willingness. If you're the lower drive spouse, what your higher drive spouse really wants to see is a willingness in you. Right. To to just say, you know what, I'm going to show up, I'm going to be there, I'm going to try to enjoy this, I'm going to you know do what I can. And that's, that willingness goes a long way. And, and then you can work out a lot of stuff. Mm. Yeah. 
we, we kind of come back to that thing we said at the beginning that so many spouses are so self-conscious about your bo- their bodies and such. And what you can mm-hmm. say is, look, you've got all the parts, okay? <laughs> That's all your spouse really cares about. It's not the nature so much as it's just, what are you going to do with what you have? Yes, yes. And, and I've, you know, the, the, the husbands I hear from, they're just sort of fascinated by women's bodies. Oh, yeah. Um, just, you know, how they're different and there's, you know, skin is softer and there's mm-hmm. more curves and, and just things. I don't know. I just think that there's something about that. And a lot of uh, wives feel the same way about men is, you know, the, the muscle tissue is harder and, you know, you're a little hairier and, and things like that. And so those differences can be things that we can learn to value in one another. Yeah. And what I say is, I mean, for each of us, we've grown up with our bodies all our lives. So we can think, you know, there's nothing very special there. Your spouse didn't grow up with that. Mm. That's new and different. And I would say mine, being with my wife has never grown old. We talk about the law of diminishing returns. It does not exist with sex. Yeah, I think that you uh, you end up a lot of times with more appreciation of one another's bodies, too, because you've experienced them in so many different ways. And um, also, I think that the, the longer that we've been making love, the freer we are mm-hmm. with our bodies, the more it's like, um, you know, less worry about how you look and more about pleasing one another. Mm-hmm. Now, towards the end of your book, you actually start talking about having a ministry with sex. How does this work? Because a lot of people could be getting some very weird ideas about a sex ministry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't know if I call it a sex ministry, but <laughs> but it definitely is something that we need to pay attention to. And so I talk at different stages of things we can do for, and I've, I've mentioned some of those things here, children and teens, um, like talking to your kids about, about sex. So many parents don't even know what to say. And um, there are some great experts out there. There are parenting classes that can help families address that subject. Um, I go into things that singles can can do or what we can do with the singles ministry for that, uh, for marrieds as well. And just kind of on the whole and looking at uh, bringing in speakers, having sermons, um, and plugging into ministries, especially that they could for special care. You know, we talked about those people who've been sexually abused. I think it would be great for churches to have resources for those people so that we can say, hey, um, you know, we don't offer that, but there's a support ministry for that over here. Or, you know, we can refer people out to marriage counselors if we don't have them there at our church. But we just need to be a, a resource for people to get godly answers about the sexual struggles and questions they have. Yeah, and for anyone looking for resources, we've actually got some here at Deeper Waters. Like for past episodes, we've had a free to Bush come on to about her program, had the talk, talking with mainly teenagers and such about sex. And then Mary Flo Ridley was on back in October. We just uploaded this episode talking about how to talk to preteens and such about sex and get them ready. Yes. One thing you also talked about that I thought was very important just now was singers. 
because you could think, you know, if you're talking about sex, but that's pretty much for the married people. And maybe if a single person wants to get married, that could be of interest to them. But if a single person has no plans of getting married, does it really benefit them to hear a talk about sex? Well, they should because they're, they, we are still made as sexual beings. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I'm not among those who believes that every single person must get married. Some people are called to something different. I, I know a woman who, who works with a lot of teens and preteens, and she's been able to do that because she does not have her own uh, husband and family. She's been able to devote her life in a special way. Mm-hmm. And so she has acted in the lives of children in that way. Um, but that doesn't mean that, sh- that there aren't sexual feelings that crop up. And also, they need to be able to, we also just need to have this coherent message as a church of what we believe so that we can talk to others mm-hmm. when those things crop up. Yeah. And, and one of the things I'm thinking about is at zero, even if you're single, you have to know how to honor sexuality. Anyway, because you're making a choice about what sexuality is, you need to know what it is. You need to learn why porn is a is a no no if you want to uh, avoid if you want to be honoring of sex. You need to learn why you're you have to be able to say, okay, if I'm choosing to not marry, then I am saying I'm going to have a celibate lifestyle. You need to be willing to do all that, and right. at the same time, also to add on, those of us who are married. I, I don't think we should look at singers, and this can be a temptation as a problem in the sense as if, oh, they're a singer. We absolutely have to find them someone to marry. Well, maybe they want that, but maybe they don't. Right. And there are, you know, and those of us who are married will, you know, vast majority of us will be single, but it will be single one day. If, you know, one mate passes away and the other one's left and you will be in singleness and need to handle your sexuality at that time too. So we need to have this worldview that you talked about. Yeah. I think one example of this is in fact, uh, Tim Carver, his book, Meaning of Marriage is mm-hmm. very excellent. And he speaks at one of the largest churches in America. And he said about three fourths of a church is singer. And yet he did about an eight week sermon series on marriage anyway. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that we also would do well to just learn about each other's struggles, you know, what it's like in marriage, what it's like in singleness, and and a respect and support one another as fellow Christians. Yeah, whenever Allie and I encounter a couple who's having disagreements amongst each other and such, and anything like that, or a couple that's just going to get married, such my temptation is, hey, that's invite them over sometime, have dinner or something like that, and just talk with them, answer their questions, tell them about what it's like in married life, not just sex. And of course, when a husband and wife talk about it, they don't need to give any really intimate details, but about what everything is like as much as we can so they can be ready. Right. There is a lot of preparation we can do, setting up uh, good expectations. Now, your book, Your Hot, Holy, and Humor, so we've been talking about a lot of stuff in there. In the end, what, do you, what would you like to see as the overall effect of your book if someone picks it up and reads it? 
Ah, you know what? I really wrote it. I wrote it primarily for wives, but I have a lot of husbands read it too. Uh, But my goal is really to to help wives uh, understand the purpose of sex and feel empowered to to have a great sexually intimate life in their marriage. And some of that includes some very specific how-tos because a lot of women feel at a loss for how to really be a a sexual person in their marriage. And they just kind of don't know what to do. So I talk to them kind of girlfriend to girlfriend, and I go f- everything from kissing to orgasm. Um, but there's also, it's biblical. I s- always come from a biblical point of view. Right. Now, for the husband out there who is reading this and such, first off, why do you think he's picking it up and second what do you want him to get out of it well he's picking it up and he's flipping to the chapter that he likes and (laughs) (laughs) he's passing the kissing one no (laughs) um that's that is often how i've seen men look at these things they look at the table of contents and they go oh hey that one looks good um but i think that they are looking for ideas too uh and i think that they are you know what I would the one thing I would say is please don't open up to a page and point to a section and say, Hey honey, do this to me. Um, it's more an attitude of you're getting ideas in here and you're I would hope that men reading this would sort of understand what it's like from the wife's point of view. That this is um, this is not an automatic like maybe you've seen on the screen and that it is something that, that you can guys can develop together. And it's something that wives need to nurture in their marriage. I, I like when you describe what a man does when he picks it up because I, I, I don't do that with books. I go straight through. The only exception might be browsing through a bookstore or something. But I remember reading in uh, For Men Only that Shanti and Jeff Ferron wrote together. And uh-huh. Jeff wrote his introduction said, okay, guys, I know what you're going to do. You're going to pick up this book and you're going to skip straight to the sex chapter. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. I think I heard Kevin Lehman, I think, talked about that with uh, sheet music and how uh, um, men tend to skip to the uh, oral sex chapter. But anyway, so it's but I understand that, you know, but you and that's fine. You can read that chapter, but then go back and read the other stuff. <laughs> yeah, so I'll, I'll when I did go straight through the book and you have my perspective. I say read everything in there. It's really good, and it is really intimate, but it it's not dirty. Remember that it's it is indeed hot, holy, and humorous. You're gonna laugh and you're gonna enjoy it. And <laughs> each sex will learn something about the other. Yes, definitely. And and ask your question. You know, ask questions of your husband or wife as you read. Hey, do you relate to this? What do you think about this? I mean, that's one of the best ways to approach a book is, you know, to check your understanding and how things are going. And what would you think about trying this? And mm-hmm. be open and start conversations. Or maybe even husbands and wives should go through this together. Well, I think that would be a great thing. I think if you went through it together, you might actually get more sex. Hint, hint, guys. <laughs> Every guy, yeah. I, I, I need to start selling this book in, in a bookstore here now. After mentioning that, my my the sales are going to soar at this. <laughs> yes, let's hope. <laughs> well, if you guys are interested in this, 
The book is Hot, Holy, and Humorous Sex and Marriage by God's Design. At the time of this recording on Amazon, the paperback is twelve fifteen, and the Kindle is nine ninety nine. So, Jay, uh, we've had a good discussion, but our good things have to come to an end, unfortunately. So, um, is there a blog, a website, an email way people can get in touch with you if they want to find out more? Sure. Uh, my blog is hotholyhumorous.com. And if anybody's on social media stuff, you can find me on Twitter, Pinterest, and Facebook under the same thing. It's just the Hot Holy Humorous. And for those interested, yes, sometimes I even jump in on the comment section on the blog. So you could see me showing up there sometimes. Yeah, you have some great comments. I really appreciate you engaging. Mm-hmm. Now, um, do you have a, a final message you'd like to leave for the Deeper Waters audience today? I think my biggest message is I say I'm passionate about passion, and I really am. I think that this piece is an important part of marriage, and if we'll prioritize it, and if we'll really try to communicate with our spouses and find out what's going on with them and try to really work together toward this this intimacy, I think that it's going to pay off at huge dividends for your marriage. Well, Jay, I'd like to thank you for coming on. Hopefully we'll see you back here again sometime. Well, thank you very much. It's been great to be with you. Appreciate it. And I can mind everyone, but next week, David Sorrell is going to join me talking about the transgender issue. For now, I'm Nick Peters, and I'm signing off. 